Iyer's on the road. Parenting in a modern world. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. And here we are again. We're, we're really on the road. We're really on the road. We're driving down the road. We're going to get home and do the second half of the show from our house in Park City. But we're just driving along now. It's a beautiful, wintry scene. Finally, the trees are covered with, with white and it's gorgeous. Um, we really are getting close to Christmas, honey. I know. Christmas is upon us. The funny thing is you anticipate Christmas and you're excited about it. And then all of a sudden you get busy in early December. And before you know it, it's the middle of December. And you're still trying to do things and get ready and, and you know, figure out what to buy. Poor Linda's been trying to shop for 27 grandkids. What are you up to now, honey? I'm only up to about 12, sorry to say. I'm having a hard time getting mothers to answer. It's always such a dilemma. I mean, you don't want to give kids a bunch of stuff that they don't want, but to have them do a wish list on Amazon or something, we have one family that does such a good job of that. I know exactly what the kids want. There's a whole bunch of things that I can choose from because they've said that's what they would like. And then I just have a certain dollar amount, and then, you know, you order it, you send it on Amazon. We have most of our kids living far, far away, so Amazon and online is absolutely crucial for us. Well, i got to pay tribute to you on this, Linda, because 27 grandkids living in really diverse places, and it's not enough for Linda to give them all the same thing. They each have to have what they really want are we are we playing the negative role here and giving are we adding to the entitlement mentality of our grandkids well if we don't if you don't give them what you want what they get is a bunch of junk they don't want and then they just they, <laughs> and then just, they just don't use it or don't yeah they throw it away you do want your grandkids <clears throat> to know that you love them and that you are a um, source of some kind of fun things once a year i just birthdays and christmas Let's be honest. You want to spoil them. That's what you really want to do. With no, I don't want to spoil them. I just want them to show to show them that I love them. I don't want to spoil them. But we're taught. But that's one dilemma. Is that's a grandparent's dilemma. But the parents' dilemma on Christmas, and the thing we really want to theme the show around today is, how do you get your children, little children, to feel the real joy of Christmas, which I think, Linda, we could divide into two parts, the joy of Christ's birth being number one, of course, and the joy of giving. You know, we, we understand as parents the joy of giving, and sometimes, this is a funny way to say it, but I almost think we're selfish in the sense that we get so much joy out of giving to our kids, and they, on the other hand, get the joy of getting and that is a certain kind of joy and the Christmas list and the Santa list and what I want for Christmas and so on, songs about it and everything. But is there some way we could get our little children to feel the greater joy of actually giving and being the focus of attention, not in what they're getting, but in what they're giving away? Because that would be, that would make Christmas a wonderful holiday and a teaching holiday where children are learning the feelings of giving and and the magnanimous feeling of making someone else happy rather than always being 
the focus of what they're getting and the parents trying to make them happy. Well, before we get into that too deeply, though, and we'll actually do that in the, in the second half, but I do have to go back to the getting for a minute because it's been so interesting dealing with all these grandchildren with different personalities and so on. And then we had a dinner um, last with friends um, in our neighborhood, and uh, we don't see these friends all that often, but um, they have children who are demanding a lot for Christmas. Um, our grandchildren are they know they're not getting something hugely expensive from us, but they'll get something from us. But it was so interesting to hear the um, the responses. Uh, one little young mother said, you know, my, my little seven-year-old just wants one of those hoverboards so bad, so bad. And so I just think I got to get one. I don't know if they're called, you know what I'm talking about, the, <laughs> the new craze that are starting a fire and blowing people up and all that, you know. And uh, they, they're little, they're kind of like uh, segways, but you just stand on them and they just, they cost about 500 bucks. I know. I, I guess everywhere, $300 to $800 or something, you know. And I said, a seven-year-old, I, I, I would, don't know. She really wanted to know, should I give that? And she said, okay, well, then what about this? There's these new, and probably many of our listeners have heard of this. I'd never heard of this. This kind of kangaroo thing where the kangaroo baby uh, bonds to your, you, your smell, and all that, and you have to hold this baby. And I said, well, how much are they? She said, $400. I said, oh, my goodness, maybe I'm living in a different world, but I would definitely say no on that one. Um, but it really is interesting. And then others, we have some grandchildren. I talked to the mothers, and I said, well, they just don't know what they want. They just don't know. I mean, I had that absolutely going forever. And um, I, I knew what I wanted. I mean, even if it was just a little doll of Roberta, you know, when I was a little girl. I knew what I wanted months in advance. Maybe it's because I didn't, you know, I didn't, we didn't have very much. Well, but Linda, let me, let me get back to this dilemma that we're, we're setting up because everywhere we go and every parent we talk to, and, I, you know, here's the worst case scenario where parents are saying to us, hey, I'm just so afraid because my child's getting to the age where he's figuring out uh, Santa Claus and I just don't want him to, you know, think that Jesus is the same as Santa Claus and that he's, he, someday there's going to come an age when they, when they don't believe in Jesus anymore just like they maybe don't believe in Santa anymore. And we've got to somehow, um, Linda's slapping me because she wants to be sure there's no kids listening to the program, but I'm choosing my words carefully, honey. But how do we, as parents, sort of blend? I mean, is it a question? We want them to have Santa. We want them to have the joy of getting. We want them to have the joy of making a Christmas list. We want to have the joy of being on the nice list and not the naughty list. We want to have all those wonderful Christmas holiday traditions come into play. But deep in our hearts, we want there to be something more. We want them to understand that that's the surface part of Christmas and the deeper part is Jesus and his birth. And the deeper part is, can I figure out a gift to give? Can I make a gift for someone as a little child? Can I go to the dollar store with my $2 and shop and pick something out that I think will actually make another person happy? 
and we we long for our kids to have that and then christmas comes closer and we just get steamrolled by all the commercialism and you can't turn the tv on without kids saying oh there's something i want i didn't get that on my list and you, and you can't uh turn the radio on without hearing more of the commercialism and you can't go shopping with children without them constantly seeing things they want and sitting on Santa's knee and telling him what they want and on and on and on. And so the dilemma is, can we have our cake and eat it too? Can we have all those getting, getting commercialism kind of Christmas traditions? And can we still carve out enough time in the Christmas season to really focus on the deeper meaning of Christ and of giving. And and, can, and and the question for kids is, can they separate the two? Can they sort of deal with both of them and not confuse the two with each other? Now, do you think I'm making too big a deal of that, Linda, or do you think that's a real issue? Well, no, I, I think it's important, I, I really important. But um, we... We make ourselves crazy by allowing our kids to ask for maybe more than they should have or need. And so I think starting with limiting, and maybe it's too late now <laughs> because the lists are already made and everything's done, but maybe for next year, limiting what it is that they want and so that you have more time, you have more time. Yeah. Concentrate on what they're going to give. But we see parents all around trying to fight this battle. I mean, they've got an Advent calendar where they're keeping track of Jesus. They're trying to read from the book of Luke and, and keep the kids involved. And then we see, and sometimes we've done this, we we see extreme measures where, where people just say, I am just so fed up with this, I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to go through another Christmas of shopping and craziness and commercialism and and I I'll never forget the year that you were really the one that was so fed up with that Linda but we both were and you'll remember that we gathered the kids together I think it was in the fall it was sometime in the fall of the year because we were planning this and we said look you guys have got to make a choice we can have another normal Christmas just like we always do or if you want we can give up Christmas entirely and we can spend the money we would have spent on Christmas to go to Bolivia to a high mountain area called the Altiplano, and we can use our Christmas to help people in a little village dig an, a system where they can have water in their village for the first time instead of walking more than a mile to get their water out of a spring and a well that's far away and it was totally unanimous the kids are like are you kidding let's go to bolivia that oh, no, sounds wait, like wait, it wait. oh there was one we did have a 10 year old there was one descent no, and i don't blame her and i think this is the christmas after the reason we kind of decided to do this because i was so hassled as a mother and we were with some young mothers this morning that were just saying how do i get through this um, when this one child wanted baby alive, there was no baby alive anywhere. I couldn't find it anywhere, <laughs> nowhere. There was not online and nothing. And finally, I got in this line, and they said they had them, and I got to the one just before me, and that mother 
just before me, they announced that she was getting the last baby alive. Is that what put you over the edge? That's that why you said, let's forget edge. Christmas well, this year and go to Bolivia. I had to figure out how to tell that child that baby alive was dead. You know, it really is <laughs> amazing how you can get so wrapped up in all that stuff. And, uh, you know, everybody's not going to run off to Bolivia. Well, but I will tell you, I will say that that Christmas... I mean, because the cost was the airfare, basically. And once we were there, we were living in this village and doing this humanitarian thing on the floor with the a group house. called Choice Humanitarian. And and I will say that the whole trip cost about the same as a normal Christmas would have cost. Well, or a trip to Disneyland. Yeah, or a trip to Disneyland. And so, anyway, we've tried in this first half of the show to pose the dilemma how do we get our kids to think more of giving and more of Christ? Let's take a brief break, and when we come back, we're going to give you a couple of alternative solutions that might actually work for your family. Be right back after the break. Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. Okay, we're back and we've set up the dilemma. How do you do it as a parent? How do you get away from the commercialism just a little bit and get to this spirit of giving and of Christ? You know, um, we started with just simply just telling our children that they were going to earn money, the money to buy gifts for their siblings. Um, and we gave them some ways to earn money and so on when our kids were just little. And then we took them to the dollar store and we had, they had so much fun picking out things for their siblings. Well, um, it was a joyful thing, but it kind of got messed up because they had spent so much time thinking about it, earning the money and everything. And then it kind of got lost in Christmas morning. I mean, Santa Claus stuff was there, and, you know, they hardly even noticed the stuff that they'd prepared for each other. So we decided, hey, this is the end of that. We are going to have the sibling exchange, gift exchange on Christmas Eve. We're going to do everything on Christmas Eve that is about giving, not getting. Well, in that thought, I mean, I want to go back and, and emphasize what you said, because it was partially successful at first, because they were thinking about finding something that would make their brother or their sister happy or their parent. And and it was so funny to watch them pick out a potato peeler or something at the dollar store for for mom and and uh and then and then when we'd receive it we would try to make the biggest deal in the world. How did you know? Oh my goodness, I've been longing for a potato peeler and here it is. And so they're getting the credit as the giver not the getter, but like you say, Linda, how do you, that doesn't compete very well with Santa Claus. And I think the real breakthrough for us, like you've just pointed out, honey, was that we just decided, hey, you can't, you can't, you can't win that battle. You can't coexist with the Santa stuff and the Jesus stuff and the giving stuff all on the same day of Christmas. And once we made that, that decision, you know what? Christmas Eve is going to have nothing to do with Santa, nothing to do with getting, nothing to do with the big presents that kids get. It's only going to be about two things, Christ and the nativity and the the story of Bethlehem 
and and we'll get into how we tried to make that a big deal and the receiving of gifts from the children. We well, didn't, giving the giving. Yeah, yeah, but but I mean, we were not the givers. We were the receivers, and the other kids were the receivers, and all the focus was on the child who was giving. So we would have one child at a time in the spotlight. Okay, Sadie, now it's your turn. Now you give your gifts, and for the next several minutes, it was all about Sadie and what she'd found for one sibling and what she'd found for another one and all the praise and all the complimenting and all the focus is on Sadie and how amazing it is that you made this gift or you chose this gift for your sister and nothing nothing about the getting, just the giving. Now, it was a little easier for us, I should say. I don't know, it was easier, harder with nine kids because um, it's kind of pandemonium. Uh, no matter what you what way you look at it, but if you just have two children or one or you know just a smaller family, you think, well, that doesn't take up a whole christmas eve and and that's true too so we um we did have and 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 as their family left uh, obviously our numbers dwindled down, and it got a lot more manageable with fewer kids when other kids were gone and weren't able to come home for Christmas. But um, there, there are. You have to adjust this to your own family. You have to say what works. But we went also from the giving and the hugs for the presents and so on for the siblings into what we called our Jerusalem supper. We really should have called it our Nazareth supper. Now, in hindsight. Well, yeah, because the whole. I mean, so many families do a nativity scene and act out the the travel on the road to, to Bethlehem and so on. And we, we'd, we'd always done something like that, and we'd read the account from Luke. But I think where it really started working for us, number one was where we, we really divided the two, and Christmas Eve was nothing but giving and about Christ. But num- But beyond that, it was the creativity that our kids brought into it because Linda would prepare this meal which only used food that that could have been had in Nazareth at the millennium of, of time. And so we'd have olives and we'd have unleavened bread and we'd have fish and we'd have figs and and it was all... <laughs> I bet this sounds delicious to children. No, actually, we did find some things that they actually liked. I mean, you know, she said olives first. That would not be a four-year-old favorite. That was favorite. my favorite. Um, <laughs> We did grape have, juice. Uh, we had the grape juice, and um, as somebody pointed out, we took a picture one night of of our thing and put it on a blog. And somebody pointed out, "Oh, please don't put ice in grape juice." I mean, <laughs> they did not have you, ice. But I, but I think Linda, that the, the the thing that really made it work was the kids' imaginations because. We had a couple of our older kids at the time who were just young teenagers who were determined that this was going to be realistic. So, number one, no lights, no electricity. We've got candles. We've got, uh, you know, authentic food. We're sitting around this table. And we are Mary's extended family, and we're sitting there as Joseph and Mary are preparing to leave to make the 69-mile Trek on a donkey all the way to Bethlehem, and so, and so each each child would choose which character there were. Well, I'm I'm Mary's younger brother. Well, I'm a cousin. My name is is uh, Jacob, and well, I'm I'm a, an uncle or whatever. And we're all getting together, and we're sitting there with Joseph and Mary, who two of the kids get to play, 
and we're talking about this arduous journey they're about to leave on, and 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 uh, Mary's parents, the two of us, are very worried and very concerned. And Mary's mom's fixed this lovely feast, and we're just eating it as we send them off on this arduous journey. And we're we're worried: is the donkey okay? Can he make it? But but I think looking back, what made it so uh, what made it a tradition that stuck and that lasted is that it progressed every year and that the kids got more creative in their concern for Mary and what what are we going to do and why is it that this Herod wants us to go that far to pay our taxes? I mean, it got into almost political discussions sometimes, but but the kids got in character and they stayed in character during the entire meal. I have to say that there was a little bit of giggling on the way because they chose their own Bible names to be around the thing and and one of our our child who's always funny decided that his name was Larf and there's no biblical reference for this but um, Larf every time they'd say say, Larf you know what do you think everybody would just crack up so you know and that's all right. you can add a little humor to it but it's the memory of the whole thing is just so well the older ones would say stay in character stay in character you know and so um the kids themselves are sort of pressing their own mentality to think of good questions or how it might have been to actually be there. And and so you're really sort of getting this vicarious experience of how hard it was and how, gee, will you be able to find a place to stay, Mary? And what if, what if the hotel, what if the inns are all full? And what will you do? And is it going to be cold? And just on and on. So you're really sort of setting a stage of what happened that night. And then after the Jerusalem Supper or the Nazareth Supper, then we would have our nativity. And it would really be meaningful to the kids because now they'd been anticipating this journey. And how how did it feel to those shepherds when they came? And how did those wise men feel? And why was this little baby so important? And really pushing little kids to think harder than they've ever thought before about what really happened on the first Christmas. You know, um, it's just one of our best memories. And I know that a lot of you may not have kids coming home for Christmas this year. Um, As kids get older, sometimes they just can't be there. We have three living in Europe right now, and and they're and actually our kids are clustering. The ones on the East Coast are clustering. The ones on the West Coast are clustering. And... uh, it's hard when they're not all there, but what's really fun for us to see is how these traditions have gone down through their families. They don't all do it like we did it, but a lot of them do. Um, they, they pick up the things that meant the most to them, and they take it into their own families, which when you're starting with a little family, you don't realize how important what you're doing is becoming for not only your children, but for their children, your grandchildren and their children. It is Traditions are amazing. Um, they go a long, long way. They go, as Anne, um, Anna Quinlan said, it's like a river going on and on and on and out of sight. I mean, it's really wonderful. Yeah, well, that's great. And so, again, I, I mean, in a way, uh, the second half of the show today is, is kind of an admission. We We basically gave up on trying to blend the whole Santa and getting thing with the whole Jesus and giving thing and decided the only way we could do it was to separate them. And so that's the thing in our family now. Don't even 
think about talking about Santa on Christmas Eve until until all the nativity's over. Then, of course, the kids have to right. put out the cookie and the milk. Well, and there's one other thing that uh, that we started with our family when they were young that really focused on giving, and that is interesting because I just just mentioning how it goes down through families. Um, our children have grabbed a hold of this tradition, and that is we had what we called a Children for Children concert sometime during the um, course of the holidays, and uh, usually before Christmas. But um, we chose a worthy cause of, usually it was a, um, a village in a third world country who we were actually personally in touch with through an organization or through somebody that had been there, and we decided that it would be good for our kids to give a concert of, you know, starting with just twinkle, twinkle, little star on the violin and going up through really, you know, sophisticated music for the older kids and or poetry or art or a little dance or whatever they wanted to do. Well, but the point is that we invited all the neighbor kids to come and to be part of this Children right. for Children concert. And then we encouraged the parents to come and pay as the paid audience to come in and and you know pay through the nose actually we asked them to make a generous donation to this big jar and that was their price of admission but all that money which now the kids perceived to be money they had raised by using their talents when we total it up at the end and that's the money that would be sent to the children in this village in Africa or in Bolivia or Well, or for a great cause. I mean, we have a family in Arizona who have a child with a syndrome who's losing her sight and they need money for research. So they do a Children for Children concert for blindness, families fighting blindness. We have a family in Boston who have chosen a group in Africa, um, Care for Life, that our kids have been intimately involved with, and uh, one of our children and his wife. And so they do a concert, and it got so big last year that the mayor came, and they put it in the newspaper in uh, Malden, Massachusetts, just one of the suburbs of Boston, and it was, they were so excited. In fact, the boys decided if they could raise $1,500, they would shave their heads. The little boys, about eight and nine-year-olds, four of them. And I'll be darned, they raised $1,500 in one night, and they did shave their heads, and then they had to go to school and explain why they had shaved their heads the next day, which was all the better. I mean, anything you can do getting your kids thinking about giving at Christmas. And thinking about kids less fortunate than they are. Now, now some of this is hard to do. The Children for Children concert takes a lot of effort. The separating of Christmas Eve from Christmas morning is an easy thing to do and will take a lot of pressure off of you as parents. And as we wind up, Linda, one more quick thing. If you're a grandparent like we are, use Skype and use FaceTime and go to the nativity scenes of all your kids and grandkids, no matter where they live. So we wish you the very best. We know it's a wonderful season despite the distractions. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week, one week closer to Christmas. Bye-bye.